Praise God. You may be seated. And uh, this is a unique opportunity and privilege to have uh, Antioch Central Thursday night group and Antioch West Thursday night group together. And I don't take that lightly. I will be here Sunday morning and Sunday night this week. And next Thursday night, I will be here. Uh, the pastor and his wife are on their 25th wedding anniversary uh, celebration trip. And uh, I'm, I'm happy for them. Because that means I get to preach. Uh, you know, I hope they're having fun. I plan on it. Praise God. So... We're here. I got back Monday from Liverpool for, uh, we were there for, well, I, my wife didn't go on this trip. She, we were there. I was there for Pat Hemus's wedding last Thursday. Married a girl in the church there. And, uh, that's awesome. All three of those kids are, uh, living for God, doing well. And, uh, in fact, uh, Matthew is on the verge of becoming the pastor of the Liverpool Church. Um, if you're thinking of little Matt, he's not little, he's almost 30, and he's about six foot two, so he's not little Matt, uh, like he was 16 years ago when he left here, so. And uh, neither is Pat. So, and of course, it, you may or may not know that Haley uh, married a uh, preacher who's the son of a preacher, the grandson of two preachers, uh, and she's living in California. You know the difference between England and California? Significant difference. When there are days without clouds in England, they declare a national holiday. And if it rains in California, that's a state holiday. But here in Maryland, we have the best of both worlds. Hallelujah. So anyway, God bless you, and I'm happy you're here. And uh, I'd like to remind you what Thursday nights are about. Uh, Sunday morning is our evangelistic service. It pains me when people who claim to be saved make the statement, but I'm not getting anything out of Sunday morning. That means we're succeeding. Because Sunday morning's not about you. It is about you participating and you praying and you being involved in us reaching the lost. But, you, but I don't get anything out of Sunday morning. That's, that's because you're supposed to be there to give and not receive. Amen. Sunday night is our celebration service for the different services, different churches, congregations. And then, of course, Thursday night is the meet night. Now, the, the good thing about having surgery is I have to eat soft stuff, stuff for a while here. Ice cream is soft, yes. Cake is soft. Dove 
chocolate pieces melt in your mouth. So it's, a, it's really a sacrifice, but uh, I'm just trying to do what's best for me and not eat anything that would harm any of this over here. But <laughs> uh, I, I, I get carnal so quickly there. That was got out of that. But um, so we are, um, this is meat and, I know that's where I was going. This is meat and potatoes night. Okay, and it, it, I acknowledge this is not a night where we entertain you. Thursday night is not for entertainment. Thursday night is to feed you with strong meat that will help you grow and become what God has intended for you to be. And so uh, the Spirit, apparently... Uh, has been uh, preparing you, if you're paying attention. We did that for a long time together. We never consulted over what I was going to preach. and She would get on the organ and begin to lead worship and preach and sing a little bit and preach and sing a little bit and preach. And it always was preparation. And it was really amazing that the Lord uh, would confirm his word over and over again, which I, I understand practice, and I, under, I understand the need to practice, and I understand that uh, when you know songs by heart and you can sing any part without even thinking about it, that you may not give the idea to practice, but the singing is supposed to pave the way for the preaching. The worship is supposed to be the John the Baptist of the service to prepare the way of the Lord. When it is a performance, and it's all set in stone in advance, and we know the songs we're going to sing next month, then there's really not a flow because there ends up being no connection between the worship and the ministry of the word. And there's supposed to be a connection. And uh, that's, I realized that I had a tremendous advantage all these years of being married to the person who was responsible for helping to set the direction of a service in the spirit. Uh, That was a tremendous advantage. Uh, We, we learned to communicate. Uh, as she said, David's kids were at the house for dinner today, and we're sitting there, and I just picked up my plate and moved to the side. She says, so you're ready for dessert? I didn't say anything. I just moved my plate. What a tremendous advantage it is to be so known. And she's got this recipe now for banana pudding. It's the smoothest, creamiest banana pudding you've ever tasted in your life. Sorry, I don't share. I'll share Jesus with you, but I'm not sharing my banana pudding. No, sorry. Not happening. Anyway, because uh, it's soft. Soft. Except for the crunchy vanilla wafers in there. So, anyway. Uh, I... 
there was a lady came up when I preached a week ago Sunday on Sunday morning and uh, she said something hardly most of very few here would even come close to believing uh, she said uh, she said is there anywhere that my kids can listen to this message this morning I preached about forgiveness I said yeah yes ma'am it'll be online and I told her who to talk to to find out how to do that she said I'm going to ask my children for my Mother's Day present to listen to this message. She said, you are, you're funny. <laughs> and you're, you're able to talk to everybody. And I thought to myself, I know a lot of people that wouldn't really agree with those statements. <laughs> but if that's what you think, I'll take it. Praise God. So I'm being funny now. He that hath ears to hear, the funny is about to turn off. <laughs> so we're going to go to First Peter chapter 4, verse 17. Uh, I don't want you to stand. Thank you very much for your kindness, your respect. I, I'm going to probably preach a little bit as I lead, read or whatever this is. I'm, uh, I've changed, uh, my ministry has changed, my focus is different so much than it's been in the past. When you have to stand in the pulpit two, three, four times a week ministering to the same people as their shepherd or doing the work of a shepherd, your ministry is so broad, it has to be broad. You have to be able to minister on many, many, many different subjects. But uh, it, it started actually in December of '05 when David became a senior pastor of Antioch. And that progression has continued. And uh, whatever this office is, whatever this ministry is, whatever the Lord's doing with me, and I leave it to him and everybody else to put labels on it. But... Uh, Whatever that is, um, it has become a pretty focused ministry to the body of Christ. And the Lord is giving me things that are really for the body of Christ. And uh, he sends me places to minister those things. And so the days of sermons are essentially over. I have a word from God and I preach that where I go till the Lord says to move on to something else. And there's something really, uh, it's so difficult to talk about what I feel to talk about tonight because to anyone who is not spiritual, it is a very negative subject. And I don't mean that sarcastically or unkindly. I'm just telling you the honest truth. People who are not spiritual do not hear anything positive in this. But here we go. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Why? You think God's going to send or at least sentence people, depending on their choices, to an eternity of torment? 
first? No, that's not how he works. No. Judgment begins at the house of God. Judgment begins at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved. If you think you can do anything to go parading in to the through the gates of heaven announcing I have arrived you can forget it it's not going to be like that every person that makes it is going to know that they made it by the grace and the goodness of God by the mercy of God through no credit to themselves and if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore? That's a conjunction. Wherefore? Based on what was just said, this conclusion is come to, and it's not a therefore, it's a wherefore, meaning there is more than knowledge or understanding that is about to be imparted but direction is about to be imparted therefore precedes knowledge information conclusion based on facts presented before the therefore wherefore takes those facts and gives a direction wherefore let them that suffer here we go now According to the will of God. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping. And the word keeping there means... uh, To place alongside or beside or near or set forth. To place down. To entrust. To deposit. To commit to one's charge. Commit the keeping of their souls. To him in well doing. As a faithful creator. It. You know. I believe. Probably 99% of people that live today are intelligent. There's some that aren't intelligent. They apparently have absolutely no knowledge of anything of any value. They're just, they just, I'm not trying to be unkind. They just do stupid stuff. Have no wisdom, no knowledge. They just do stupid stuff. And then they get angry when their stupid stuff catches up to them. They want to blame somebody else. Okay. But most people, most people are in this world, saved or unsaved or intelligent. So my question then comes to this. When intelligent people just don't get it, what's the problem? 
When intelligent people just can't see it. What's the problem? Well, let's read a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 3. First, 2 Corinthians 4, 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So there's something more than working in our world than just smart people not being able to understand. Because they're smart. I mean, the Lord said of the people at the Tower of Babel, let's go down and confuse their language, because there's nothing that will be restrained to them from from them or to them of that which they can imagine to do. Man is so capable, made in God's image, that he can imagine, he can he can produce what he can imagine. I was brother Levester Johnson was kindly driving me to JFK a week ago Monday to uh for my flight from uh, New York to Manchester, England. And uh, we came off the Verrazano's Nares Bridge. And if you don't know it, it's, it's two-story. And I came around. We came around, and, and I, he's driving. And I'm, I, I'm looking at this bridge, and I, I said to him, Man built that. That's just, it's mind-boggling. Man built that. Man built this. There's not just a few people in the world that are smart and everybody else is dumb. That's not the case. Very few people don't have the capability of truly being able to operate a smartphone. Now, I know some of us that are older, we are so intimidated by that. I'll tell you what you do. I know some four-year-olds that can teach you how to do that. Because it's so complicated. So what's the problem with the older folks that can't do that? There's a mental block there. Oh, this is too hard. Yeah, so let a four-year-old show you how to do that. The younger right kids were at the house a few months ago and Noah was wanting to watch something on the iPad and he came to me and he said, Dad, Dad, would you put the password in here? He says, passwords can be complicated. He was four at the time. I looked at his grandmother and I said, passwords can be complicated. He's four. He didn't say that like it's some horrible thing. It's just that I, I understand there's an issue here and I'm going to learn how to do this. See, I'm going to but. Some of us that are 64, we go, ooh, passwords are complicated. I can't do that. So what's the problem here? If the average person, 
You know, really, the expectancy is that about 97 to 98% of all human beings are capable of graduating high school. Hello? Think about that, please. That most people that don't graduate high school, if they don't, it's not because they're not capable. They just didn't want to do it. They just didn't don't want to do the work. So if, if the average person is that intelligent, then why is it they're so blind? If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them to lost, to whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ to his image of God should shine unto them. Or how about this one? This is one that I've been studying a lot lately. How about Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Listen now. Listen. You want to know what's wrong with our world today? It's not natural. It's not intellect. It's supernatural. Wherein in time past... You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. (sighs) Folks, let me tell you, let me just say this a a little different way. You know what this book, the book just said here? That every single person that doesn't know God this living a life of disobedience, they're doing it with help. They're doing it with influence. They're being influenced by supernatural powers. Oh, the devil made me do it. That's not what I'm saying. Because he doesn't have the authority to make, he, he cannot violate the will even of the, of the worst sinner out there. We must make the choices. But he does his best to convince us that the thoughts and feelings we have are ours. Because if he said, here, I'm putting this in your head. This is the devil. I want you to do this. The average person or the great majority of people is going to go, you're kidding me, right? I'm not listening to you. But they do that. Why do they do that? Because he's so good at imitating their own thoughts. They think it's their own thoughts. And so they go along with what's in their head. Not even recognizing the source of it. Oh, praise God. You're not listening to what I'm saying, are you? That even with the Holy Ghost... When you decide to not do what the Word of God says, you're surrendering influence in your life to the adversary. And every time you obey Him, even if you don't realize you're obeying Him, you make it easier and easier for Him to convince you of what to do. Every time the thought comes in your head that what you've got more going on is more important. 
than coming to church, than prayer, than, than doing what the Word of God says. Every time you're allowing the adversary to influence you to disobedience. Oh, I know, I know, I know. I said this in the Sunday morning message two Sundays ago here. It is online. Uh, that in all of my travels, <laughs> continent after continent, no matter how developed and highly educated a nation is, I don't go any place outside of Europe and North America that lives in denial of the existence of the supernatural more than the United States. Now, Europe's trying to catch up to us. But you understand that the reason we deny the existence of the supernatural is not because we're so educated and sophisticated. It's because we need to believe there's no accountability for our choices. We need to believe that. We need to believe that we have a right to run our lives any way we want to run it. And we're never going to answer to anybody for that. My sons were not perfect by a long shot. They both had their struggles growing up. We did a lot of praying. She spent many nights in prayer. But there's a couple of reasons why my sons are saved today. The saints of God were not a part of the menu around our table. The ministry was not a part of the menu around our table. Whatever problems we had with people or struggles we were having, we didn't tell our kids all about that. We wanted our sons to love the people of God, to love the church, to love those that worked with us in ministry. We wanted them to love them and respect them. Although on their own as children, they started calling senior people at Antioch, uncle this and aunt that. Nobody told them to do that. That's just how they felt about it. one of the main reasons why no matter what kind of struggle they had there was no built up distrust toward ministry and the people of God oh they learned that none of us are perfect we're all human they learned that but they learned that about themselves before they learned that about others you see I understand frustration I understand hurt. I understand all that. But when you carelessly and recklessly 
chew on the ministry and the people you go to church with. Day after day, week after week, month after month. You're telling your kids, because you come to church and smile and hug everybody's necks and act like you, they're, everybody's here, your greatest friend, and, and you, uh, then you go home and chew them up and your kids go, my parents are hypocrites. My parents are hypocrites. The very people they talk about around the table, they go to church and act like they're their best friends. I can't trust the preacher. I can't trust the people to go to church with. I can't trust my parents. And you had the quicken who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past. This word conversation doesn't mean what we say. It means literally your life or lifestyle. Okay? We all had our lifestyle in times past and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So we can't judge those who are not yet seeing people that are still blind. We can't look at them and say we're better. We were all like that, raised in the church or not. We were all, we were all, in this situation. Hang on just a minute for me, please. Would you do that? Just let me take care of business without doing it publicly. There we go. Praise God. So I'm not, I can't take any credit here, you see. I can't take any credit. We, everyone who was an unbeliever was blinded by the God of this world. Everybody that's ever lived in disobedience, and we all have lived in disobedience at some point in our life, did so under the influence of the prince of the power of the air. So here's the other thing. Entertainment and great sermons can't reach people. Who need influence prayed off of them. So we come to church, and it's not, uh, you know, it's, oh, man, I made it. That's my only responsibility. I don't have any responsibility at all. I made it. And yet the preacher, he's got to be tuned in someplace else other than here. My wife would, we'd go home after services, and my wife would say, did you see that? See what? You didn't see 
No. She used to get so frustrated with me because I didn't see it. Why? Because my focus was in another world. I'm tuned in. I'm listening someplace else. What I'm seeing with my eyes is the least, the lesser of the, the influences coming into my spirit. I'm someplace else. For, for the sake of leading the body of people in the direction of the Holy Ghost, I have to be someplace else. So I can't do that and be tuned in to who needs to be prayed for. So if I've got the Holy Ghost and I've been baptized in Jesus' name and I walk in a church service and all I've done is I'm just fulfilling a requirement to come to church and I don't get connected in the Spirit and I don't get involved in the Spirit and I'm not feeling after the Spirit to see what God is wanting to do and who needs prayer and you don't have to go to lay hands on them. You could just begin to pray. The first message I preached this year was in Canton, Ohio. It was on Friday, the first Friday of January. The title of this message, the message was, when are we going to stop having church? I'm in a very unique place at Antioch these days because in the past, the Lord would give me revelation and I had access to the pulpit to share that revelation with the entire body. I don't have access to to do that anymore. In the will of God, I don't have access to do that now. I have access to influence leadership, especially senior leadership, but I do not have access to preaching these revelations to the people of God. And so you may or may not have heard any of this, but it's that's what's going on, you see, because there is such a deep dissatisfaction in me with the idea that I have unknowingly participated in promoting over the years, that, you know, we need to come to church. We need to be faithful. We need to read our Bibles. We need to pray. We, we, we need to give. We need to be involved in witnessing. We need, we need, we need. And, and, and you don't, it's not the intent to make that a list of do's and then preach against some stuff and make that a list of don'ts. That's not the intent. But it ends up being The way it's perceived. (laughs) It's not the intent. Because I'm here to tell you something right now. If you got your sleeping bag and your stuff, then you moved in this building. That's not going to save you. If you fasted eight days a week and prayed 30 hours a day, that's not going to save you. It's not going to do it. Because you can't earn this and you can't deserve this and you're never going to be righteous because of what you do. I don't come to church to be saved because I'd commit sin by not coming. The book says forsake not the assembly yourselves together. But the problem we have is the word church is a ver- We use the church as a verb and it's not a verb. There's no place in the Bible that talks about having church. But 
try to change that and feel the pressure coming from areas of the congregation because, okay, we're here and we're expecting to be out no later than we've got stuff to do. So let's get this done and over with. One of the only indicators of a New Testament church service was when Paul taught till midnight. The guy fell out of the window, broke his neck and died. Paul had to interrupt his uh, lesson and raise the guy from the dead. And when he was raised from the dead, Paul went back and taught till daylight. It's in the book. Read it. So don't tell me we believe the Bible. And I'm not talking about every time we come to service going all night. I'm saying starting times are a necessary evil. But any expectation of an ending time till God's done, whether he would be done in 15 minutes or five hours. But see, that's not our problem. Religion has programmed us to expect a start time and a pretty rigid ending time. Because we're here to fulfill an obligation. (laughs) And then, when you begin to talk about suffering. Wait, I didn't sign up for that. That's exactly right. Religionists don't sign up for suffering with Christ. In fact, those who are involved in religion are trying to pay some the premiums on some insurance policy that they hope will guarantee them immunity from trouble. And you know that's what the attitude is. Because when something goes wrong, the attitude says, you mean after all I've done for you, God, you let this happen to me? That is always the attitude of the religionist. I've paid my tithes. I fast. Whatever the preacher asked me to do, I do. I I come to church. I, I, I do this. I do that. I do this. And that means that God does not have the right to let trouble happen in my life. And you, you know what that tells you? That attitude says, hey, preacher, I don't read the Bible. I don't know anything about God. I don't know anything about his word. I I was asked to participate in uh, Pat's wedding the other day, and and, uh, her family, the bride, Jody's family, uh, is uh, none of them are in in the church, and so they wanted a wedding that would have an impact, and they wanted some preaching, and they asked me to preach. And uh, it was uh, under the guise of me giving the meaning of a wedding. Okay, what does that mean? Well, we preach a little while, you know, 
But I saw something there that I had never seen before as the Lord was directing me. If you go to Genesis chapter 2, I'll show it to you. It's pretty uh, amazing stuff. If you go to Genesis 2, let's see. Uh, okay, verse uh, 15. Genesis 2.15, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, the Lord commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now the Lord God spoke to man. Well, why didn't he speak speak to woman? She wasn't created yet. Did you hear that? She it wasn't that she was alive and God talked to the man and not her. God talked to the man before there was an Eve. Why? Because man needed to know the choice before Eve came along. Because verse 18 says, But, and the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him, him and help meet for him. So the point here is, God spoke to Adam the conditions that man had to abide by to maintain fellowship with God and to continue to abide in the garden. There is no evidence anywhere in this book that God spoke to Eve after he created her and told her the same thing. That's why the woman was not blamed for sinning. Because God expected her husband to tell her what God said, and he hadn't done it. Oh, hello. Praise God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. He hadn't done it. Now, those of you that don't know this is my wife. They call her Mother Wright. She never refers to her, well, almost never. I think she's kind of finally surrendering to the title. Every once in a while I, I've heard her say Mother Wright, but not usually. Anyway, we came into town. I was 24. She was 19 to start this church 47 years ago. Now, if you know how to do math, you got some idea how old she is. So, so anyway, <laughs> people who do not know her think that she is uh, kind of pliable and... Uh, and so submitted that she's almost codependent on this strong personality that's her husband. (laughs) 
You have no clue who and what my wife is. She is not submitted because she's weak. She's submitted because she has faith in the word. Excuse the vernacular. She ain't even beginning to spell the word weak. She's not weak at all. In fact, she's one of the strongest people I know. I didn't say women. I said people. She's a very strong person. Very capable person. I've said it many times, and I mean it with everything in me. I need her far more than she needs me. Somewhere she's got it in her head, she needs me, and I don't want anybody straighten her out on that. Okay? I told God today, I said, now, Lord, uh, you got me doing this, you got me doing this, you got me going here and doing all that, and... I'm just thanking you for my wife because of this. If she's not here, I can't do all this. I don't know how much money we've got in the bank. I don't know what bills we owe. I have no idea what day they're due. You say, I thought you're the head of the house. Oh, yeah. I don't, I got credit cards. I don't ask permission to spend any money. No. I am the head of my house. But I don't have a servant working for me. I have a very senior VP. She's not in the mailroom. She's in the boardroom, okay? And she has great authority in our home, uh, but she submitted to me. And uh, But the bottom line is this. With all of that, I can't tell you the number of times over the years where the Lord has spoken something to me that he did not speak to her. And both of us were tested. Because other than pleasing Jesus, my most my greatest priority, priority of focus other than pleasing Jesus is pleasing Alice. And that's absolutely the truth. I love my sons. I love my daughters who are now daughters. They were daughters-in-law, but they're daughters now. I love all seven of my grandchildren. I love you. But I didn't make a vow to be your pastor. I didn't make a vow to be a dad. I didn't make a vow to be a grandfather. I made a vow to be a husband. And that's my most important relationship in life. I have people that call me bishop all over this world that never get enough of my time. They... Every one of them would take more time if I had it to give. I don't have it to give, so I try to find the will of God every day. With all that being said, I didn't seek to be their bishop. I wanted to be her husband. So when God chooses to speak a word to me that he doesn't speak to her, we both are tested to see whether or not I'm going to tell her what thus saith the Lord and whether or not she's going to receive it, 
even though she doesn't feel it or see it. Now, has that worked perfectly for almost 49 years? I would not insult you by saying yes. It's always a process. It's always process. Well, let's, let's go this far, okay? The preacher is not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. The ministry, at best, is the neck. Now, I've heard of people say, I've heard people say, well, doesn't he have a handsome face? Doesn't she have a beautiful face? I just don't know that many times somebody said, oh, what a wonderful neck. Ugly face, but beautiful neck. <laughs> eh. Nah, I don't think so. Why? Because we just understand that the neck is there just as a connector between the head and the body. And that's exactly what the ministry is supposed to be. Paul said it this way, ye are dead and your lives are hid with Christ and God. But that being said, everything that the head communicates to the body flows through the neck. Nothing, no interaction between the head and the body bypasses the neck. So if you're going to attack the neck, you're attacking that which connects you to the head in Christ's economy. And yet at the same time, you know, I look at my hands. I remember when I first noticed my dad's hands looking like that. And now my hands look like his hands did then. And I noticed it when he was old. And I'm going to see, my dad was old when his hands looked like that. My hands now look like that. So what does that mean? Nothing. Doesn't mean a thing. It's, doesn't mean a thing. It's skin. It's doing a good job of covering up all that underneath that. It's, if it's crinkled and wrinkled and looks like a craggy piece of moon or whatever that is, I don't, it, I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. I've, I've got her. She's stuck with me. If it gets wrinkly, whatever. Ah, I messed up. I told, I told my eldest son the other day, I said, you know, I really like to lose weight, but I got a problem with that. As long as all the skin is stretched out, it's pretty wrinkle free. But if I lost weight all of a sudden, I'm going to have rolls and wrinkles that I don't have now. So it's kind of an oxymoron, paradox, whatever you want to call it, you see, because I'd like to lose weight, but I don't want to look like a prune. So I'm going to just go home and eat some banana pudding and contemplate that a while. 
We are, I know you think I'm all over the place. Yeah, just keep thinking that. That's the way you take care of this and take care of this and come at that. And you, right? You haven't figured that out. Okay. So, um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm deeply concerned. I really honestly am. Because what I see in the book and what the church, I don't mean Antioch, I mean the church, is living, what the church's focus is in everyday life, and what the Bible says our focus is supposed to be. There's very little resemblance between the two. The great majority of you wonderful people sitting here live two lives. You live your secular life most of the time. And then you, even if you give a few minutes to Christ and the things of the Lord each day, we live in a Secular world with a secular mindset. I, I started to start with this, but I didn't. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ... Hello? Well, when was I, when, how did I rise with Christ? I died in repentance. I was buried with him. My old man, the old sinful man was buried with him in water baptism. And then I rose from that watery grave and the spirit comes in to resurrect me so that I can rise with him to walk in newness of life. And if ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. I know this terminology sounds like two to you. And it is two, but not two people. And it's not two gods. You got the I am God who cannot be limited by time or space, and you've got that God projecting himself into time and space, and the I am God projected into time and space is called Christ. Well, that's two. No, it's not two. Christ is all that the I am God, who is totally uninfluenced, uninhibited by and unmeasured by time and space in order to communicate and have fellowship with us has to be a part of time and space. So Christ is the I am God who was called the Father because there was a Son. He wasn't called Father beforehand. But the I am God is 
projected into time and space. And we call the I am God projected in time and space as Christ. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek, seek those things which are above where Christ, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Now, what I'm, what I'm trying to help you with tonight is, I'm just trying to give you a glimpse into where I live. I mean that absolutely as literally as I know how to say it. I'm giving you a glimpse into where I live. And because God is no respecter of persons, you can live there too. If you want. I'm trying to give you a glimpse where I live. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ Sitteth on the right hand of God. Now, if you will, I'm coming back to that, but let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, which says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed, past tense, done deal, already accomplished, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. If you've been risen with Christ, set your affections on things above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, of the Father. Here's, this is, this is where Christ sits. We have already Every spiritual blessing is already available to you, but not to everybody who names the name of Christ and calls himself a Christian, but to those who are willing to put their focus and attention on things above. But I live in a natural world. I got to go to work. I got to blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know the excuses. I know the excuses. I used them for years. We got houses to clean. We got, we got yard work to do. We got this to do and that to do. We got these problems on the job. We got, we got all this stuff and all of those things are our excuses for living with our focus in the temporal world. Well, it has to get done. Yes. But spiritual people can do temporal things. Without losing their focus. Spiritual people can do temporal things. Without disconnecting from the Father at any point during the day. I, I I used to play golf a little bit more, but in, in August of 2015, I fell and tore all this leg up, and then I hadn't hardly been well for about four months and tore this Achilles tendon in October of 2016, and I'm just now beginning to get healthy. And 
got a chance to play a little bit while I was in England. Well, there you go. That's carnal. You kidding? <laughs> Golf course is almost like being in church. You say re- golf is religion? Oh, no. There's some of the most beautiful places on earth are golf courses. Because it's all natural, you see. And I have never been on a golf course that I didn't pray more than I played. Because if I can't do that, I'm not playing. I used to try to play. And when I tried to play, I tried to score. And when I tried to score, I was never going to score what I thought I could score. So I was always frustrated. But when playing and score stopped being the priority. See, there's a difference between recreation and entertainment. Recreation recreates. Hello. Entertainment feeds flesh. Holy. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> yeah. Recreation recreates. Entertainment, most of it, feeds flesh. Now, on the plane, I watch a couple of the episodes of A.D. Uh, the story continues or whatever that was. I don't know. I don't know where where it was produced, who produced it or whatever. It was pretty pretty powerful stuff, and it was about 80% accurate. Visually, and get the point across, it was. It, it was entertaining in the sense it was well done. But I'm sitting there with people around me, and I'm trying to keep from bawling my eyes out, watching Jesus being crucified and then being resurrected. And, and it was entertainment, but it wasn't entertainment. Now, when you're watching movies with gratuitous violence, that's what you're into. You're playing video games that are violent games. You're not feeding anything with your flesh. And that's fine. Because you will always keep the level of your spirituality way down. And you're only, you're only deceiving yourself to say you're spiritual when you're participating in things where you're killing people or cheering for people that are killing people. I'm sorry. That's not my opinion. If you'd like to stay in an extra hour, I could give you plenty of scripture. Since that's not my direction tonight. So let's go just a little bit farther here. If I go down to Ephesians chapter 2. And I read to you chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, about the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of the now work, children of disobedience. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, And made us, past tense, sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And there are some 
spirit-filled people here tonight going, huh? I know. I know. Huh? Huh? I don't know what that's talking about. Huh? Because I spend my life in the carnal temporal dimension. And that's the focus of my day. Except for what little bit of time I give to Jesus. So, huh? Spiritual things make no sense to me. Huh? But I go to church. I keep the rules of holiness, or what we call holiness, not what the book calls holiness. Pay my tithes, but I don't have any real connection to the things of God because it's not my focus. He's not my focus. What if God put a Lamborghini Countach in your garage and you chose to transport yourself with a scooter that you have to shove on your foot on the ground to make yourself go with. What are you doing? Oh, well, I'm trying to get around. I thought you had a Lamborghini. Yeah, but this works for me. We would all go, something's wrong with them. So you have, in your spiritual garage, a Lamborghini, and you choose to live your life with one foot on a scooter, shoving yourself around with the other foot off the ground, because that lets your flesh be in charge. And the worst part is, all the excuses you've made up, Justifying yourself living that way. And hath made us sit, made us, and hath raised us up, verse six, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And so you go back to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, and the verse says exactly the same thing those other verses just said. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things that have already been provided for you, which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. For ye are dead. Your life is hid with Christ and God. Oh, preacher, this, that just doesn't sound very inviting to me. No, I don't suppose it does. I don't know why it's taken the great, great majority of my life to get here. I don't know why. I don't know if I was just stubborn or carnal or if it was a matter of timing. But the person I am, the relationship I have with my father, the ministry that I have, the daily fellowship I have with him, it's never been like this ever in my life. Well, Brother Wright, everything's perfect in your world. 
Nothing is perfect in my world. There are more externals that want to press on me now than I've ever had in my life. There are more problems external to my inner being that want to demand my attention and me to acquiesce to them and tell them how much influence they've got on me and how much control they have over me more than ever in my life. The early church didn't wait till all their problems were solved to be the people of God that they were called to be. They understood what the woman of God was talking about tonight, what the Word of God is saying, that God allows the trouble to test your resolve to see what your motives really are, what your desires really are. If you're only interested in being a Christian, if the Lord's going to make your life smooth and perfect... I was with Brother Shelton the other day, and he was. We were talking about the past and when we first met. Very first time we met was in 1996, I think it was. He went to Zambia with Brother uh, uh, Suber and some others of us over there to do regional crusades. 1995, we did a centralized crusade in. Lusaka, Zambia, and in one weekend, we prayed through 2,252 people to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The next year, we wanted to take those crusades to different areas. And so there were several people came as a part of the team to go to, to go to those different areas. Well, I, I, Brother Shelton came with Brother Suber because he was Brother Suber's assistant pastor at the time, and we first met in the airport. And unfortunately for him, from the moment I laid eyes on him, the Lord just went, the book was open. And the Holy Ghost didn't wait to start. We had barely disconnected hands from shaking hands the first time, and the Lord started in on him. And... <laughs> And we were, we were in Zambia and we went different directions for the weekend. Then we all came back together and I was coming home early and he decided he was coming home early too. And so we ride from the place where everybody was gathered to the airport together and I'm driving and there are potholes on the roads there in Zambia. They'll swallow your car. And I'm driving like 60 miles an hour dodging these potholes, just working him over. Just working him over. We get on the plane and somehow, unfortunately for him, he managed to get in the seat next to me. From Zambia to Heathrow, London. From London to Baltimore. And I never took a rest and never slept. Because the flow never stopped. And just worked his motor over the whole time. <laughs> you would think he would probably pretty much hate my guts. But it's not that way. Thank God for that. 
You know what the, pro- what the challenge was? I immediately saw where he was and where God wanted to take him. And I got to be honest with you. I told him this right away. I said, let me tell you something. I want you to be saved, but whether or not you're saved is not even the issue. What, what the goal is here tonight is for the kingdom of God to have full benefit of that ministry God has given you, fully functioning and operating. And whatever my role is in helping to see that you get there, your feelings are totally irrelevant to me. Because I'm going to say what I got to say, how I got to say it, just as pointed as I need to say it to get your attention. And of course, he likes to tell about the service where he's up here preaching, and I come crawling out of the chair over there and grab the mic, get in his face right in front of God and everybody, and said, stop this holding back. The kingdom needs for you to quit trying to be liked by people and please God. Well, right now, I don't know if there's anybody that's more effectively used of God and the Spirit than Scott Shelton. But you know what? Somewhere, affections have to change. Set your affections on things above. What above? Verse 1, seek those things which are above. Above where? Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Ephesians 1 and 3. Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 6. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. You know what? If just one or two people in this room tonight would get it, I'd feel like it was worth the time to do this. If this is touching the depth of just one or two people that's feeling something and they don't know how to put it in words. They don't really know how to explain it, but they're feeling something. There's a deep dissatisfaction inside that we want to blame on everybody else, but it's God. If there's just somebody here that is hearing the voice of God calling to them and you respond, This would be a very profitable service for the kingdom. The problem is, you're here and you're accountable for the message. I can't do anything about that. Your response to it is between you and the Father. I can't do anything about that. But you're accountable. But if just, just a few, If somebody here would say, you know what? I have believed the lie and I believe the lie. I believe the lie. I believe the lie that there were so many things going on in my natural life. When I say natural life, I mean church problems and church challenges and stuff that as a, as the pastor, I had to deal with. And you can get so bogged down in all of that. People thinking that you somehow had a responsibility to solve all their problems. And there's no place in the book where God gave any man of God that kind of ability to solve all your problems. 
The man of God is not your, your means whereby you get somebody else to do your praying and hearing to God for you so you don't have to pray and die out to self. And I let people use me like that. Because I thought that's what a preacher was supposed to do. People would come and say, is this the will of God? Is that the will of God? And I naively in the younger years of my ministry thought that was what a shepherd was supposed to do. And I would answer those questions to my hurt and everybody else's hurt. But that's not the role of the preacher. God's never called a preacher to solve all your problems. God's never called a preacher to have all the answers for you. That's not the role of a preacher. Not, not in the book. It's not the role of a preacher. It's not. Huh. There, there, there are words in this book that just, when I say words, I don't mean single words. I mean, Words, messages that God communicates, just, they, I hear the scriptures go over and over in my mind, consciously and subconsciously. It's, they're always there. For instance, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. Galatians 5 and 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know what I love about that? The moment I realize that I come to myself and realize I'm struggling with my flesh. Yes, I repent, but that's not what I, that's not the message I got. The message I got is I got out of the realm of the things above. I got down dealing with the things on the earth. I stopped walking in the spirit. I've told this over and over and over again. But on the Friday night of the first week of August, 2003, in Attleboro, Massachusetts, after three nights and two days of teaching in a call to war, excuse me, not a call to war, a manifest meeting that I didn't want to be at and didn't want to speak at, but was put in that position because I had no other choice, And I couldn't do anything different than I knew to do, and that was to hear and repeat. And for three nights and two days, I taught stuff I didn't like, didn't want to hear, didn't want to agree with, didn't want to believe. But it came hearing, repeating, hearing, repeating, hearing, repeating. And after three nights and two days, there was nothing left to do. When my responsibility to that group of people was done finally, After I was finished, or the Holy Ghost was finished on Friday night, I put the mic on the pulpit. I walked over to the side of that little building, up in the corner where the platform stopped between there and the wall. I got down on my face, and I died. Once and for all, finally died. And you can take this any way you want to, but I'm telling you right now. That day... I got up being able to say, and I'm saying it to you tonight, right now, that night I was crucified with Christ. And the only thing I try to do by the grace of God every day is to maintain that death died that night. And from that night, I, the stuff I taught that, 
those three nights and two days, all that stuff about casting your cares, that was stuff I taught. I'd never practiced it uh, faithfully and didn't even know if I believed it. But from that night, I, I have not asked one thing for me. Not one single prayer have I prayed and asked God, do this for me, give me this. Even when my wife was sick, I never asked for God to heal her. All I did was cast. Which means, unlike you, in all of your trouble, in all of my trouble, I have no pressure. I have no pressure. I refuse to live one moment of my life under pressure. Because where pressure is, there's no peace. Where peace there is, there's no pressure. You can't have peace and pressure in the same spirit. You can't have peace and pressure in the same spirit. And and you know what? Pressure is proof that you've got something you want God to do and you're trying to figure out how to get Him to do it. You've got your will. Oh, maybe you think it's God's will, but the moment you're trying to force Him to do it on your time schedule, how you want Him to do it, it ceases to be His will. And the pressure is you confessing to yourself if you want to hear what's going on, that you have taken control back. Because everything I give up control on, I have no pressure. No pressure. Brother Wright, I don't know how to do that. No. I'm very sorry. That's not the issue. You're not dead enough to self to do that. God is no respecter of persons. If he did this for me, to me, through me, he will do the same for you. And it's the most wonderful life that you possibly can live. Because it's a life in the spirit. It's a life of peace. It's a life of peace. It's a life of no pressure. Don't you have, don't you have problems, brother? Do you know whose name is on all the bills here? Well, we have a board of trustees. Oh yeah, we do. But you know who signs for this church and the board of trustees? And you know who the bank is required to personally co-sign on every loan this church has got? So if this all goes under, what do you lose? Oh, just a place to go to church. This all goes under. David and his family don't lose it. Joel and his family don't lose it. Charles and his family don't lose it. We lose it. All of it. You live under that kind of pressure? I don't mean this unkindly. But the majority of you sitting here don't have a clue what pressure really is. Oh, I don't mean you don't have problems and stuff that bothers you and you're concerned about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you do. We all do, don't we? And everybody's problem is big to them. And most people, their problem is bigger than their God. And what the Lord showed me with a building sitting over here six months flat 
from February the 18th to the first Friday night of August 2003. Nothing but a flat building. No idea what we were going to do. No, no, not knowing where we were going to go. Not knowing what the, what was ever going to happen here. That was the problem I was facing. And I was the one responsible for coming up with the answers. Yeah, we had a board of trustees and ministry staff. And everybody had their input. When it was all said and done, guess who was accountable for making those decisions? Yeah. And that night, all of that pressure was put where it was supposed to be. The first Friday night of August, 2003. And now, that first Friday night of August this year will be 14 years. I have not lived one day under any pressure because they're not my problems. And I'm not trying to control them. Had a preacher call me. Brother Wright, I don't know what's wrong. What's the matter? Well, I'm trying to pastor this church and I've got a business and that business is not only my income, but, but, but a lot of that income money is going into the church to keep the payments paid and all this. And I don't know what's wrong and I don't know what I need to do. And I, I said, I said, do you want to know the answer? He said, yeah. I said, you're not dead. Well, how do I know if I'm dead? The day it doesn't matter to you if the whole thing goes back to the bank. Because, see, that's what casting does. When you cast it, the outcome doesn't matter to you anymore. Because it's his problem, not yours. It's his care, not yours. And there's no pressure. That's not fatalism. It's faith. It's trust. And it's real. And it works. And you know what it does? It cuts the lines on this balloon. That lets me soar into the heavens. And I can look up and see God. And I can look at down and see how small everything looks. That appeared so big while I was tethered to the earth. And that's available for everybody. Oh, that's right. Solve all your kids' problems. Solve everybody's problems. Fix everybody. Go, just go ahead and fix everybody. Cause you think that's what you're called to do. Just solve everybody's problems, fix everybody's problems. Well, if the preacher's not going to do it, somebody's got to do it. Really? Yeah, I think there is somebody supposed to do that, but it's not you. Unless your initials are LJC, uh, it's not you. There's only one mediator between God and man, and you're not him. But here's the problem, see. Jesus said, I came to bring life. And that more abundantly. When you got saved, you got life. But until you die out to yourself, you'll never have abundant life. Never have it. Until you die out to yourself, you'll never have abundant life. You'll have life. And it's better than what you had before, because before you were dead in trespasses and sins. At least now you got life, but you know what? 
You've heard it. It's true. Every morning during the whole process with her cancer, when the doctors are telling us, every time we went to see them, it got worse. Worse, 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 worse. And every morning we would hold hands and pray, Father, we're your children and we know you love us. And we know you're in control. And you knew about this cancer long before we did. And you know the outcome of it. Even though we don't and the doctors don't. And we want you to know we trust you regardless of the outcome. Well, why didn't you ask God to heal her? What if it wasn't the will of God for her to be healed? What if in his plan and according to his will, it wasn't his will? Those of you that have suffered according to the will of God. I've been asked to teach next year a national meeting called the Advanced Prayer Seminar. (laughs) I was talking to the lady in charge of the prayer network on the phone. We were talking and she said, I just feel like God's wanting to do something more and whatever. And uh, she said, what do you think about trying to do some kind of seminar? And I said, well, let me ask you a question. People send in requests to you, and you email those requests out to people in the network all over the world. Is that right? Yeah. And what's the first thing everybody does? Well, if the person's sick, we ask God to heal them. If the person is dying, we ask God to spare them. And Right. Listen now. I said, has anybody ever considered that the first thing you ask God is, what's your will in this situation? Uh, We've never thought of that. I know. Because the first thing that's the will of God do you do in any situation, is not to ask God to fix it, change it, undo it. The first thing you're to do in any situation is, okay, Father, what is your will here? What's your will? What's your will? I'll never forget, brother and sister Kimbrell, Having the baby, and it's a long story, but what an amazing story. Chloe wasn't supposed to even be born alive. Nobody in this country essentially would give her any hope, but they went to the Children's Hospital, University of Florida, where there was a doctor there that specialized in in, uh, fetuses with these kind of problems, and he, 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 He and his team were willing to work to try to help Chloe live before she was born and after she was born. And Chloe lived, what was two months and 28 days? Two months and what? I'm sorry? 20 days? Two months and 20 days. And uh, you you don't understand something. Every moment her heart beat, 
Every breath she took was a miracle of God. Medically, there's no way she should have lived. There's no way she should have been born alive. So there are two months and 20 days of miracle after miracle. And I was asked to preach that funeral right here in this building. And this is what the Lord said to me, and it was what I preached that day. Who defines what a full life is? It's appointed unto man once to die. There's a divine appointment. David said, my times are in thy hands. What time? The date, the time of my birth and the time of my death. And no man has the power to retain life. You've heard the story of Bishop Parent, who was 25 years board of trustee members on this church board here, told the story of his 102-year-old mother who was in her last days. And he says to her, well, Mom, you've had a long, full life, 102. And she says, oh, but William, it seems so short. See, you don't get it. Who defines how long a full life is? Who defines that? Surely not you. Surely not me. Only God does. And I can choose to fellowship with him or to not fellowship with him. I can choose to walk in his spirit and live in his spirit. Or I can choose to live in the flesh and just pay homage to him a few times a week. It's my choice. It's my choice. But I'm going to say this to every man of God in this house. If you think the promises of God for an end time worldwide apostolic revival and harvest is going to come to pass through your ministry, then you better get focused on dying because not one preacher who's alive to self and dead to the will of God is going to be used mightily in that revival. You want to be a part of that? You're going to have to die to you, die to your way, die to your will, die to your time, die to you. You're going to have to do that. Why? Because in this book, death always produces life. Life produces death, but life always comes out of death. Death produces life. If a grain of wheat falls to the ground, it dies. It abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Die, 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 die. But here's the problem. Okay, Brother Wright, I I see what you're saying. Yeah, I'm ready to die. Good luck with that. Because according to, and you can put this on the screen for me. I thought I was done, but I'm going to put this one up here. According to Hebrews chapter 9, 14, even, I'm sorry, even Christ 
could not offer himself to God. Even Christ could not die except through the empowerment of the Spirit of God. So you can make up your mind to die and it ain't happening. It's not happening. You can pray and ask God for His grace and the empowerment of His Spirit to help you die out to yourself. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. I can't do it. How about Romans chapter 8 verse 13? If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. You can't do that by human decision, by human ability, by human empowerment. Even dying out to yourself is a spiritual thing, not a natural thing, not a human thing. If you've been risen with Christ, set your thoughts, your feelings, your attitudes. Set them on things above. I, I am going to close with that. That's, that's where I'm supposed to close, right there. Colossians 3, verse 1. But I'm reading from the Amplified. If then ye have been raised from Christ, with Christ... To a new life, thus sharing his resurrection with, from the dead. Aim at and seek the rich eternal treasures that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds and keep them set on what is above, the higher things. Not on things that are on the earth. For as far as this world is concerned, you have died. And your new real life is hidden with Christ and God. Dear ones, dear ones, dear ones, dear ones, dear ones, dear ones. It really matters to me not at all what your opinion of the current president of the United States is. I'm not into politics. I could care less. So if you want to get on your high horse for or against him, I'm not attending your race. But I am saying this to you. This particular president is providing a space for people of faith. Or at least God is providing a space for people of faith and it's not permanent hear me I beg of you hear me hear me hear me hear me this space is only a space and when it turns it's going to turn quickly and it's going to turn 
dramatically and it's going to turn from a natural perspective it's going to turn very negatively against believers from a spiritual perspective God's going to use it to demonstrate to the world what kind of foundation you've built your house on. I beg of you, people of God, I beg of you, hear me. I beg of you to hear me. If you get all comfortable and think that the current freedoms that we have as believers of the word in this country are going to continue unabated I'm not a negative person I'm not a fear monger I'm just telling you truth it's going to get bad and when it does it's going to get bad very quickly and people are going to die for their faith in the good old US of A people are going to die for their faith and that's okay that's okay the ones I'm concerned about are the ones who are unwilling to die and haven't died out during this space so they're not dead enough to survive such trial as that there's a book it's an old old book called Fox's Book of Martyrs and uh, one story in there is about the Spanish Inquisition. When the church at the time was persecuting Jews and people who were not following the head of that church's dictates. And what they would do is they would torture you to try to get you to recant your faith and to accept the teachings of the church in power at the time. And there was a man on a torture instrument called the rack. You're stretched out. Your wrists are connected with rope around underneath the table. Ropes are put on your ankles and that comes underneath the table and is put on a, a spool. And as they turn this spool, the ropes tightened and your body began to stretch. And finally, eventually, joints began to pop out of joint. And it was supposed to be a very excruciatingly painful way to die. And the story goes there was a, there was a man, a believer. He was being tortured on the rack. And the, the clergyman who was overseeing his torture, every time the, the torture Operator, whatever you call him, would crank that thing another notch and the ropes would get tighter and other joints would pop out of joint. Recant! And we will let you up off the table. Recant! And you can be free from this right now. And he held out, held out. Finally, he said, I recant! They let him up off the table and he, his scream stopped. And when he got up, he tried to walk away. And the way the story goes, the best I can remember it, 
just in a few feet walking from that torture rack. He fell down screaming in agony louder and in more pain than anything he'd experienced on that rack and died. The story goes there was a 16-year-old girl that happened to be in the room. Best I remember, they didn't really know why she was in the room, but she was. And when he fell down and died, he said, she said out loud, Oh, you fool. You've traded a few moments of comfort and relief in this life for an eternity of torment. And when she said that out loud, they turned on her and said, Are you one of them? She said, Yes, I am. And if I remember the story correctly, uh, the clergyman involved pointed to somebody and they whipped out their sword and just cut her head off right there. Killed her. Oh, that's horrible. Not if you believe the book. It's not horrible. If your affections are on the earth and it's all about how long you can live and what you can accumulate and all you get to do and everybody that gets to know you and how important you are, if that's what your life is about, yeah, that's tragedy. But if you know that this life is only temporary anyway, wasn't a tragedy at all. She had fought her fight. She'd run her race and she was done. At 16, she crossed the finish line. Kind of makes me a little envious of her. A little bit. Father, I pray for your people tonight. I commit them into your hands. You know I'm just a man. Just a man that desires to be your conduit for your words. For your spirit. And I have said what you've given me to say here tonight. I've said it the way you gave me to say it. I haven't added to or taken away thing, anything from it by your grace. And I commit this, your word, to these hearts and lives. I commit this to them. I loose the spirit of soberness upon us. Your word says for us not to be drunk on the cares of this life and the pleasures of this life. So that that day takes us unawares. I loose the spirit of soberness upon us, Father. That we would not be intoxicated with what this world seems to offer, but can't produce. Open our eyes, Father, in Jesus' name. I bind the spirit of blindness. I bind the spirit of the influence of the spirit of disobedience. That we might have ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive. That we might have your spirit of wisdom and revelation and understanding and the knowledge of you. That we might walk with you as you'd have us to walk. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, let this word find such a secure lodging place in the hearts and lives of each individual that have heard it or will hear it that we will all that we will all 
walk in your spirit and be the laborers in your field that you'd have us to be in Jesus name in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus I, I, I can't dismiss this service I can't if you need to go you're welcome to go I'm asking you to be as undisruptive or non-disruptive whatever the word would be as possible please ease, ease out without disturbing those around you there are people whose future and eternity are weighing in the balances. There's people here whose spiritual future are weighing in the balances. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You going to do the will of God? You going to do your own thing? I'm laying the mic down. I'm not dismissing this service. If you need to leave, you're welcome to go. But as the Lord is dealing with you, I beg you, don't brush him off. Don't rush out of here till you and him conclude your business. Jesus' name.